six, five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to your Catholic drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's good to be on with you this morning. How's your morning going so far? Are you awake? Are you headed to wherever you're going today? I pray that you're going to have a great day. I pray the precious blood of Jesus to cover you today, you and your family and everything going on. We've got a great show lined up for you today on Catholic Drive Time, brand new Monday through Friday. Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Heard all across the Guadalupe Radio Network, and pretty soon, even on the Stations of the Cross as well. So, great things are headed your way. Uh, Emily Alcaraz is here. Good morning. Good morning, Joe. What a great day. Yeah, praise be to Jesus. Adrian Fonseca is behind the board producing today. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, I'm excited about today's show. Uh, we have uh, first hour. It's going to be John Henry Weston from LifeSide News. He's the editor. And we're going to be talking about big tech censorship. I know we've all experienced this uh, personally, but happening on a grander scale when it comes to you, or freedom of the press, freedom of information, I think we're seeing that on new levels every day, and that's kind of concerning to us. So we're going to have that conversation with uh, John Henry Weston from LifeSite News. So that's going to be a fun conversation, Emily. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, and this is something that I've seen cropping up more and more, particularly this year and particularly following the election. So I'm really yes. excited yes. to hear more about it. So that's coming up in this hour. And then next hour, we're going to have the greatest Catholic trivia game show known to man on radio. Uh, it's called Fear and Trembling. We're going to give out some prizes as well on this program. So if you'd like to be a part of that fun time, the opportunity to maybe win some prizes uh, or possibly just learn a little bit about your faith it's going to be great that's coming up in the second hour plus raymond arroyo is going to be our guest in the second hour we're going to be talking about his uh, brand new book out called the spider who saved christmas published by sophia institute press which happens to also be our sponsor for the game show this week that's right so uh if you don't know we're going to have sponsor sponsors for our game show every week and this week our sponsor is Sophia Institute Press, which you might know as the publisher of some of your favorite Catholic titles. Yeah. So, very excited for that. So, a lot to discuss, a lot to dive into. We're very excited you're here. If you want to be a part of the program, you can always comment on any one of our social feeds. You can look for us with at GRN online or just search for the Catholic Drive Time on your social platform. But right now, we're going to be live streaming to uh, Facebook.com forward slash GRN online with comments and with uh, text uh, or links to any of the articles that we discuss, we'll post those there. So if you want to find them, but you can find us on YouTube and Twitter, Instagram even. So uh, search for us, GRN Online or Catholic Drive Time. But let's pray and then let's dive into our program today. So draw your intentions and unite them with ours as we bring them to the Queen of Heaven and Earth, the Immaculate Conception, as she whispers them into the ear of her son, that we may be covered totally today in our life, wherever we are going and whatever we must do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother, to thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. 
O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy. Hear and answer me. Amen. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. The state of Texas has sued four states over the election voting counts. The lawsuit with the U.S. Supreme Court is against Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin. It accuses these states of running unconstitutional elections by changing their election laws, treating voters unequally, and enabling significant voting irregularities through relaxing the measures that kept elections secure. Eight other red states have also joined the Texas Supreme Court suit. And the Supreme Court has ordered the defendant states to respond to Texas's motions by Thursday, December 10th. Catholic high schools in Michigan are suing over the coronavirus order keeping them closed. Two high schools in the Diocese of Lansing have joined a lawsuit against a public health order keeping schools in Michigan closed for in-person learning, calling the order scientifically, educationally, and constitutionally unjustified. The schools argue in the lawsuit that the school's COVID-19 safety plans have largely prevented the spread of the virus and say Governor Whitmer's order interferes with free religious exercise. The Vatican is seeking an eight-year sentence for ex-president of the Vatican Bank. The 81-year-old Angelo Caloia was president of the Institute for Religious Works, also known by its Italian initials IOR, from 1989 to 2009. Kaloya has been accused of money laundering and embezzlement. The Vatican's promoter of justice also saw an eight-year term sentence for Kaloya's lawyer, the 96-year-old Gabriel Liuzzo, as well as Liuzzo's son, for money laundering and self-laundering. The Vatican City State Tribunal reportedly announced that the court would issue its sentence on January 21, 2021. Pope Francis has proclaimed a year dedicated to St. Joseph, The Holy Father issued an apostolic letter yesterday entitled Patris Corde, dedicated to the foster father of Jesus. The Pope wrote, Each of us can discover in Joseph, the man who goes unnoticed, a daily, discreet, and hidden presence, an intercessor, a support and a guide in times of trouble. St. Joseph reminds us that those who appear hidden or in the shadows can play an incomparable role in the history of salvation. This year, the faithful are granted a plenary indulgence when they recite any approved prayer or act of piety in honor of St. Joseph, especially on his special feast days and those of the Holy Family. These are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. The year was 1487, and uh, an interesting year, to say the least. I mean, Bartholomew Diaz was rounding the Cape of Good Hope and in Africa on his way as a Portuguese sailor to the Indies in order to create trade routes that would bring wealth and grandeur to his people. By then, uh, the Azorian Islands and, and many of the islands that, uh, that follow the coastline of Europe and down through Africa had already been colonized. St. Ferdinand and Isabella were already well on their way to reconquering Spain for the glory of God against the Moors. Their reconquista was well at hand. There was a young, young uh, Franciscan, uh, a man by the name of uh, Zumarraga, who was in his novitiate here in 1487. There was a tiny little baby n- named Hernan Cortez that was hanging on for life, very near death, very sick. His parents uh, begged for the intercession of Saints Peter and Paul to save him. And then a world away, across an ocean that Europeans dared or feared, rather, to cross, 
was another young man, 13 years old. His uh, Indian name was Kuhatala Huak. His name is very interesting. It means he who talks like an eagle. And in the year 1487, he was just miles away from a, a city, a city that would one day become Mexico City. And this day was very ominous and foreboding. Because in that city was a brand new uh, temple raised to the hummingbird wizard, the devil himself. It towered well over a 100 feet. Staircases of 114 stairs each on each of the sides. And lined out to the horizon and beyond these straight roads that led from the parts of the Aztec Empire straight to this one temple were lined the victims in single file line. 80,000 victims lined up on that day. As the temple priests began to bang on their drums covered with snake skins, they could be heard two miles away. And this young 13-year-old boy, this native uh, person who, who was living in this time, was a witness to the slaughter of 80,000 persons, human beings, Their hearts were cut from their chest while still beating. Their bodies were tossed over the edge and they tumbled down the stairs. Their limbs were removed in order to be eaten by the inhabitants. For four days straight, this slaughter continued as a dedication to this temple, to the hummingbird wizard, the devil himself. This young boy would one day... Go on to, uh, some traditions say, help Hernan Cortez, that young little baby in 1487, would land at Veracruz and begin his march to uh, Mexico City in 1519 and eventually defeat this dark and devilish culture to bring them the light of Christ. And it is said that this young native boy who had to witness all of this would help Hernan Cortez do that. In 1524, he became a baptized Catholic. He would receive uh, his instruction from the priests in Mexico City. Because play, uh, because uh, having multiple wives was uh, a part of the, the death cult of that time, um, it is said that when Juan Diego, which was his baptized name, uh, received baptism, that he had to let all of his other wives go. And he lived with his first wife. She died uh, not all that many years later. And he would live as a poor uh, person. He would give all he had over. I mean, he wasn't uh, wealthy to begin with, but he made mats out of cactus, and he made the uh, the cloak, the tilma that he would wear on that fateful day, December the 9th, 1531, when crossing Tepeyac Hill in order to go to daily Mass. I mean, sometimes he would walk up to 15 miles per day just to go to Mass and receive instruction in the faith. And that beautiful day, December the 9th, 1531, as he was crossing Tepeyac, a deserted desert-like hill before uh, Mexico City, he heard beautiful, incredible, heavenly music, as if all the birds were, were singing this wonderful, mesmerizing tune. And there he saw this vision of this incredible lady. And she approached him. Now, at this time, Juan Diego was in his 50s. And she said to him, My dear little son, I love you. I desire you to know who I am. I am the ever-Virgin Mary, mother of the true God who gives life and maintains its existence. He created all things. He is in all places. 
He is Lord of heaven and earth. I desire a church in this place where your people may experience my compassion. All those who sincerely ask for my help in their work and in their sorrow will know my mother's heart in this place. For I am your merciful mother. To you and to all mankind who love and who trust in me and invoke my help. Go now to the bishop in Mexico City and say that the Virgin Mary sent you to make known to him her great desire that a shrine be dedicated and be built in this place. So run now and tell the bishop all that you have seen and heard. There's a beautiful way she she speaks to Juan Diego. She calls him Juanito. Very loving. Very loving. Very motherly. Our Lady, the Queen of Heaven and Earth, Our Lady of Guadalupe, as she would be called, she she makes herself one with Juan Diego and the peoples of that country and of that time. Hernan Cortez made it possible for this conversion to come by the defeat of the death cult, this paganism, this um, idolatry that was blaspheming the Lord God. He made it possible. He built the roads that made it possible the spiritual roads that made it possible for Our Lady to show up on this scene in this time in 1531 and to meet this native young, this native man, he wasn't young at the time, uh, who had given his whole life to live in, a, in poverty, really, to, to live simply, to be pious, to walk many miles every single day to go to Holy Mass. I mean, uh, we live in a day and a time where we think, oh, Lord, Father, can you hurry the, the homily up? I mean, I, I got places to go, things to see. I can't be bothered with uh, with uh, the delays. And yet here's a man who gets up every day early to walk just to go to Holy Mass and receive instruction. And Our Lady approaches him with such sweetness and kindness. It's beautiful to see. And in his simplicity, he goes to the bishop. He tells the bishop what she said to say, but the bishop doesn't trust him. And he's sent on his way. And our lady's like, well, what happened? And he's like, please, lady, send somebody else. You need to send somebody important that the bishop will listen to. The bishop, by the way, is Zumarga, the same uh, friar in 1487 who was in his novitiate year. So we see the, the these three individuals, Hernan Cortez and Zamarga and uh, Juan Diego coming together in this moment of time that was so powerful and incredible. Now, the Feast of Our Lady Guadalupe is not until Saturday on the 12th. But Juan Diego, in his simplicity, in his piety, in his faithfulness, doing what this Queen of Heaven and Earth has asked him to do, and yet remaining faithful and remaining true to... Uh, to who he is in his most simple form, I think is a beautiful witness to us today. She, of course, said, I will not send anybody else. You're the guy. And eventually, I'll tell you more about the story on Friday. We'll talk more about the uh, Guadalupe side of things. But it's a powerful story. Juan Diego would spend the rest of his life. By the way, they had that church dedicated before Christmas. December 9th was the first apparition. By Christmas, they had the church dedicated, the, t- the little shrine. And there was the Tilma, and Juan Diego lived for the rest of his days in that little shrine, telling the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, how she made herself one with the people. And from the years 1532 to 1536, five million people were baptized and welcomed into the church at a time when five million people abandoned their faith across Europe. I'm thinking of you, King Henry VIII. Juan Diego, simple pious, faithful. I love you.
say, Juan Diego, pray for us. And now your gospel for today comes to us from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said to the crowds, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. You know, Emily, what I love about this passage? What do you love? The Old Testament reference here that I think 99.9% of people miss today. I think I missed it. What is it? Really? Come on. You didn't miss this. Yeah. What is it? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Does that recall anything from the Old Testament? No, no. I'm stumped. I should know. I feel like I should know this. Okay, what so King Solomon. Mm-hmm. Okay, when he dies, who takes over for him? His son Rehoboam. When Rehoboam becomes king, the uh, the people of Israel they come to Rehoboam. They're like, you know, your dad, he his taxes were kind of heavy and they were hard, and uh, we would like a little bit of relief now that you know he's dead, and we're hoping we can move forward with just a little bit of you know a little bit of relaxing here on the tax burden. And he goes, okay, I'll tell you what, go away for three days, come back, I'll let you know my answer. Now, Rehoboam, being a young man, he didn't want to listen to the old uh, advisors in the kingdom. So instead, he got all his frat buddies together. <laughs> and they're and they like, well, what do you think I should do? You know, my dad, you know, he had all these taxes. Because, you know, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses commanded that all the kings of Israel uh, were to not do Three things. There was three things they could never do. They couldn't multiply wives. They couldn't multiply gold, and they couldn't multiply horses, especially horses from Egypt. Is verboten. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Guess what Solomon did? He had a thousand wives and 700 concubines, Uh-oh. or something like that. He had uh, he had 666 talents of gold given to him by his vassal kingdoms every year. Mm. Is the number 666 ever any good? I'm just curious. Just curious. <laughs> not no, not that I can no, think of. No, nope. No, didn't see that coming. Uh, then of course he he not only did he have uh, horses, he had entire cities set up as bases for his cavalry, and he bought them all from from Egypt. So he broke all three of the mosaic uh, rules for for kings so of course we see solomon not ending his life very well Mm -hmm. and then rehoboam takes over and this is what rehoboam finally says to the people of israel in uh first kings chapter 12 verse 9 he says and he says to them what do you advise that we and this is him asking his uh, his buddies what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me lighten the yoke that your father puts upon us verse 10 And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your fathers made our yoke heavy, but do you lighten it for us? Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. What does that mean? It's not a good thing. Okay. (laughs) That's a bad thing. So he basically tells the people, no, you think my father's taxes were bad. You disobedient subjects. I'm going to increase the yoke. I'm going to make the burden even heavier. As a result, Israel split off from Judah in the south. And so we have the two kingdoms now. And Jeroboam, who is ruling in the north, is a sort of a polar opposite to Rehoboam in the south. And Jeroboam ends up setting up a golden calf again in order to prevent his people from going in 
into the temple in the south. So again, mm-hmm. we see the split, this this uh, civil war between like a divorce of kinds in the family of God, and we see pagan idolatry come back and be used very specifically. And then it led, of course, to eventually to the uh, the uh, the uh, ten northern tribes being scattered to the winds by the Assyrians. So it's a tale as old as time. Pagan idolatry yeah. happened then. It happened in the time of Juan Diego. Yes, uh, the pagan idolatry that he was, you know, saved from thanks to the the friars in that time, and the pagan idolatry of today. Now we have very different idols. Yeah, Social for sure. Media, you know, the things that don't give us silence. So when Jesus says, "My yoke is easy, my burden is light," and on one level he seems to be speaking directly to the Israelites. That he is re, he, so the, they talk about Isabel and Ferdinand doing a reconquering, like, so he's reconquering the tribes of Israel, bringing them back into what will become the new Israel, which is the church, which is his body. And he's like saying, unlike Solomon, who collected 666 talents of gold every year, uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and come and rest in me. And so on one level, he's speaking to the Israelites very specifically mm-hmm. about how one greater than Solomon is here. And I think as a Jew, first century Jew in particular, those words would have uh, uh, caught your attention very carefully. Whereas 21st century uh, American Americans, I think we missed that. Adrian, what say you? Uh, I just had a question. If you had, if you knew or not, uh, what happened to Juan Diego after the apparitions were over? I well, never yeah. hear about him, his life so afterwards. If- well, that's a good question. Like I said, uh, he spent the rest of his life in living in the little shrine on Tepeyac. So when the bishop, uh, of course, I will tell the rest of the story of uh, Our Lady Guadalupe on Friday, even though it's, it's Saturday, it's their feast day. Um, eventually, the bishop does come around, obviously, and we'll talk about that. You know the story probably already. Uh, once that happens, they immediately go into action of building this te- this little shrine that Our Lady asked for. So the one building material that they had available uh, was uh, like a mud house, right? So they built a, a mud house. So he basically becomes like a monk who lives at the shrine? A hermit, yeah. Now, his his uncle, I didn't mention that, uh, he skips on on December the 10th from seeing Our Lady because his uncle, Juan Bernardino was uh, was ill on, on his deathbed. He stayed in great charity to care for him. And then uh, on the next day, oh, he's on his way to Holy Mass. Our Lady confronts him again, this time not upset, but says, you know, and she even says something even more endearing. She's like, am I not one of you? Mm. Juanito, my little son, am I not one of you? Am I not among your people? Uh, you have nothing to fear. It's so beautiful, beautiful, so intimate and so motherly the way she talks to Juan Diego, uh, this older man, actually. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. of course, she appears through Juan Bernardino as well, heals him and, uh, and whatnot. But Juan Diego spends the rest of his life living in this little temple, this little shrine. I keep saying temple, I mean shrine. And there was the tilma, and pilgrims began to come immediately. And it's interesting because uh, my wife, for uh, uh, I should say St. Nicholas on his feast day, provided me a copy of Warren Carroll's Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness, which is a just, I love Warren Carroll. He's my favorite Catholic historian, bar none. And, uh, and he talks a lot about this, and it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating stuff. But uh, at any rate, 
Juan Diego, incredible guy. Good stuff. You have know. you have you heard the story of when Hillary Clinton went to see the Tilma? Yes. And she's like, <laughs> who painted who it? Who painted that? They go, God. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of God? I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, behind me is an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe on the wall. If you're listening on radio, you can imagine in your mind the sun ray bursts that come jet up from behind her. Well, uh, you know, that's fading. That part is fading. And uh, um, that's because it's speculated that that's not original, that the only original part is Our Lady herself, and they added everything else. I want to say Taylor Marshall did a video sometime within the past year where he talked about some of the alterations that were done to the Tilma over the years, adding and subtracting things to the Tilma itself. Uh, but the actual image of Our Lady, her physical person on the Tilma, uh, which is well over 500 years, or actually 500 years, and um, she has not faded. She looks like she could have been painted uh, this past week. She's so vibrant and beautiful. Her, But yet there, you can still see the evidence of altera- man-made alterations around her. Uh, which is unfortunate, um, but her complexion it, it varies depending on the distance you are uh, mm-hmm. to the tilma. Which is one and w- at one distance she looks more European, and at another distance she looks more native. It's fantastic and beautiful, and uh, and she appealed to the native peoples in mass uh, instantly. Like I said, between 1532 and 1536, the records show that the missionaries who were just begging and and just so desperate to baptize people leading up to 1532 and were not very successful, all of a sudden would enter a town and the natives would beg them to be baptized. Without ever, they hadn't even said a word yet, and the natives would come and beg to be baptized. And they were uh, baptized in estimates of five to nine million in just those years. Amazing. And to this day, to this day, I know all the Mexican parishes are going to have big celebrations on Saturday. She's such an integral part of Mexican culture, and I've always had a special fascination with the history of Catholicism in Mexico. Mm. It's so fascinating. You go back to, have you heard of the last emperor of Mexico, Moctezuma? Yes. He So his sister and his daughter both converted to Catholicism. Yes. And did you know that his granddaughters became nuns? Yes. All of them. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because in the 14, the reason why I started with 1487 is because there was a mastermind behind the the Aztec Empire that was not Montezuma. Montezuma was the emperor, Montezuma II. However, uh, there was a man that was behind it all who was sort of like the guy really masterminding the death cult there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to uh, butcher his name here. It's uh, Talakaelel. Like I said, I butchered that. But this is the gentleman. He was in his 80s when he orchestrated the sacrifice of 80,000 humans in in one single go. It was four days and four nights. And for all four days and four nights, he, he sat at the top of the temple. He began himself sacrificing the humans, but he sat there and didn't go to sleep for four days and four nights at 89 years old to witness the slaughter of 80,000 human beings, to offer it as the initial sacrifice to their hummingbird hummingbird wizard, which is the devil himself. That's horrific. Horrific. It's so easy for us to say, thank goodness I I wasn't alive in that time, you know, but we still have 
human sacrifice yes. on, on, you know, on the level of abortion. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, sodomy was another big problem in the time of the Aztec That's Empire. That's nothing new. Uh, cannibalism was a big issue. And the Mayans, who were less so than the Aztecs, mm-hmm. had basically uh, taken on the Aztec culture uh, because they were they were on the fringes down towards the jungles. But uh, when uh, Hernan Cortes landed in uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, mm-hmm. he encountered the Mayans and had to go to war, a battle with them. He defeated them, uh, but they discovered the uh, the human sacrifice and the cannibalism there as well. Plus, he saw idols of sodomy and and other grave immoral evils. And uh, Hernan Cortes, for all of his good or bad, he was definitely a believer, and he actually mm-hmm. said to his men uh, who were wanting to retreat at one point when they were facing uh, 30,000 enemy warriors against their two or 300, you know, he, he encouraged them to stay and to fight hard because uh, they were, at the very least, they were bringing justice to the blasphemies against God. At the very most, they were bringing light of Christ into a dark place. And when these souls deserve the light of Christ, he really felt that. He really felt like these people deserve Jesus. Thank God they brought Catholicism to Mexico. I mean, the only word I can think of to describe what was going on is demonic. Yeah, for sure. It's completely demonic. All right, we're going to go uh, to our uh, break number two here. Uh, We're getting ready to have a conversation with John Henry Weston from LifeSite News. He is uh, the editor there. We're going to talk about big tech censorship. Plus, we'll have more breaking news and headlines with Emily Alcarez on the other side of this break. But uh, censorship is something we've all sort of faced on a small scale. But when it comes to regulating the voice of information, of news, it can be a big, big problem. We'll have that conversation with John Henry Weston from LifeSite News on the other side of the break. Stick around for more Catholic Drive Time. The Immaculate Conception is a Catholic dogma that many Protestants have a hard time accepting. They claim it shouldn't be believed because it's not found in the Bible. But I beg to differ. Recall how after the fall in Genesis 3.15, God promised to set enmity between the woman and Satan, between the woman's seed, the Messiah, and Satan's seed. This separation from Satan means the woman's not tainted by sin in any way. Moreover, woman seems to be a title for Eve in her pre-fall state, as is the case in Genesis 2.23. She isn't called Eve until after the fall in Genesis 3.20. So who's this new woman? It's the mother of the Messiah, Mary. So just like the first woman was created without original sin, so to the new woman, Mary, was created without original sin. That's to say, immaculately conceived. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers. Catholic.com. Years ago, when I started acting, modeling, and singing in Mexico, my Catholic faith was not the center of my life. It took me many years to discover that success, fame, money, and all the pleasures of the world were not going to fulfill me. I got to a point in my life where I thought I had everything, but I realized something was missing. Thankfully, I began a faith journey that brought me back to God and the home to the Catholic Church. You can too. Discover more at CatholicsComeHome.com. Having trouble with your car radio? No worries. The Guadalupe Radio Network has just released our new version of our app. With the app, you can get a crystal clear connection of your local station no matter where you are. You can also listen to podcasts of past shows and find more ways to connect with us. Getting the new app is easy. Just search the App Store on your phone for the Guadalupe Radio Network and either download it or if you already have it, choose the update option. Happy listening. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. 
keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. It's great to be on with you just a minute or two. We're going to be speaking with John Henry Weston from LifeSite News, the editor there. We're going to talk about big tech censorship. Have you experienced censorship on your social platforms? Imagine if that is the case where they're censoring entire voices, you know, political agendas, religious uh, viewpoints. How about information they're channeling? They want you to think a certain way, and uh, so they're, they're, they're channeling news organizations in ways that will manipulate the outcomes. That is uh, part of what we're going to be talking about today with John Henry Weston from LifeSite News. Uh, did I mention, uh, we've, I think we mentioned at the top of the hour about uh, the Pope claiming a year for St. Joseph. That is big, huge news. In fact, we're going to be talking with Father Donald Calloway next week, or on the 19th, I think it's the 19th. Uh, we're going to be the 21st, thank you. It's going to be the 21st. We'll have Father Donald Calloway on to discuss that. But don't forget, in the next hour today, Raymond DeRoyal will be on, plus we'll have our game show, trivia game show, Fear and Trembling, where we'll give out some prizes as well. Uh, so it's a fun time to learn a little bit about your faith and maybe win something. You can be a part of that in the next hour. But uh, first, let's hit the headlines and breaking stories with Emily Alcarez. The Ohio legislature passed a bill requiring the burial of aborted babies. The bill provides for a first-degree misdemeanor charge for anyone who knowingly fails to dispose of fetal remains legally. Mike Gonadakis, the president of Ohio Right to Life, applauded the bill's passage, saying, whether pro-life or pro-choice, Everyone should be able to agree that the bodies of babies should never be thrown into the trash. Similar laws have been proposed in other states as well. Next year, Pope Francis will become the first pope to visit Iraq. The Vatican announced last week that the pope is scheduled to make his four-day visit in March of 2021 at the request of the Republic of Iraq and the local Catholic Church. During the trip, the pope will visit the Christian communities in the Nineveh Plain, which were ravaged by the Islamic State from 2014 to 2016, causing Christians to flee the region. Pope Francis has repeatedly expressed his closeness to these persecuted Christian communities and his desire to visit Iraq. The Vatican has launched a Council for Inclusive Capitalism, seeking fundamental economic change. Over 100 of the world's largest investors and companies are participating under the moral guidance of His Holiness Pope Francis. The council founder, Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, stated that the body is focused on measurable actions for true system change, connected to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. In an interview, Rothschild said, We're not going to just turn on a switch and make greed go away. But one thing that's nice about being connected to the Vatican is a Christian principle of redemption and forgiveness. Pope Francis made a surprise visit to the Statue of the Immaculate Conception in Rome yesterday. In his Angelus Address from St. Peter's, the Holy Father said, Today's liturgical feast celebrates one of the wonders of the story of salvation, the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary. Even she was saved by Christ, but in an extraordinary way, because God wanted that the mother of his son not be touched by the misery of sin from the moment of her conception. These are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Right now, Adrian uh, Fonseca, our producer, is trying to get uh, John Henry Weston on the line. I know he's traveling this week, and so uh, we were working with his his assistant there to uh, to get him booked up for today. 
But uh, at any rate, we're going to be talking about censorship and uh, big tech censorship. You know, we saw, Emily, uh, right before the election, there was the case of the Hunter Biden laptop mm-hmm. and all that information. And we saw how uh, big tech was uh, was preventing those links from being shared far mm-hmm. and wide. So that's a, sort of an obvious example. But I think there's a lot of less obvious examples. You're big on social media. Have you ever seen any uh, censorship from your point of view oh absolutely and uh if you've noticed now on every social media platform they have these little disclaimers that are saying oh this is disputed according to cnn or so and so yeah um they're they're trying to keep you from uh trusting the sources i know Uh, just last week i was trying to share some uh link I can't even remember what the story was about to be honest with you like it's not even important to me uh on twitter and I got a message. So I, I tried to click the like the retweet option, mm-hmm. and I got a pop up that said, "Are you sure you want to retweet this?" <laughs> and I'm like, "What? What do you mean? Like I can't uh-huh. retweet this? Like I'm not allowed to retweet this?" Well, you know, uh, this this information is disputed. Well, maybe. And I know what it was. It was the video of the uh, the the Georgia. Uh, Recount oh. the Georgia vote in the middle of the night, pulling mm-hmm. bags out from under the suitcases out right. from underneath the table, and then scanning these thousands of ballots in with no one watching in the middle of the night. And it was very shady tree. What was going on? And it was video. It was just raw video. It wasn't even raw video with comment on top. It was just straight up raw video mm-hmm. uh, from that uh, that night. Um, and I tried to share that, and they're like, "Well, this is disputed." Well, what exactly is disputed? It's a video. It's a raw <laughs> video with no commentary. There's not, they're not even drawing conclusions. Uh, just watching the video is like, what's disputed about that? And, right. And it was like intimidating, you know, to say, do you really want to share this? And if this facts, our fact checkers say this is not good. We live in an age when the most powerful thing we have is information and information is used and weaponized by, you know, everyone with an agenda. Um, and so, and, and it, particularly the, the fact that so many people get their news now from social media, from Twitter. Yeah. Like, no yeah. one goes directly to the sources anymore, yeah, at least in sure. my generation. For sure. Um, and so, I think big tech censorship is a real problem, mostly because it seems to suggest that adults, uh, putting children aside for, you know, young minors or whatever to the side for a second, it seems like they say that adults aren't capable on their own to decide and filter information. Like, what do I want to share? What do I not want to share? What do I want to uh, believe or learn or, or understand or read it's on like my own? Like big tech helicopter parenting. Yes, <laughs> I'm a big fan of helicopter parenting, but not from big tech. Uh, joining us right now uh, by phone is John Henry Weston. He is the editor of LifeSite News. Good morning, John Henry. John Henry, are you there? Good morning, yes. Praise be to Jesus. Good to have you on with us today. Uh, we're talking about big tech censorship, and uh, I, I've seen it personally on, on the small scale. Uh, Facebook has shadow banned me for quite a while now, it seems, uh, removing certain key features that I'm no longer allowed to, to have. I've been labeled a bigot there before in the past. Uh, I've seen a lot of that on a personal scale. What is it like on an organization scale like LifeSite News? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's the same thing. It's just slightly more serious with regard to numbers. Um, so you know that most media organizations have a majority of their reach via social media, um, and it is actually quite a substantial uh, majority of their reach because it's over 50%. And that makes for, I mean, if you consider LifeSite News, we are 
2019 were 102 million page views. Uh, we were in 2020 headed way north of that. Mm. Um, and we got banned from Twitter for nearly wow. a year. Mm. Wow. We were misgendering someone. We <laughs> called a biological male a male, and that resulted, of course, in a ban. Now, that's, that's something when you have hundreds of thousands of fans and they get banned. Now, we just did the same thing, but this time with YouTube. So the, the amount of censorship has increased. The frequency of it has increased uh, in these last few weeks like never before. Mm. So we've been cut off now uh, from our YouTube page of 230,000 fans. Wow. Uh, first for a week for posting something. We got, the first strike was for a statement from a nun who is our regular the Mother Miriam show that runs every day on LifeSite News' uh, YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And then the second statement was from a medical doctor who was testifying yeah. at, a, at a hearing in British Columbia. Wow. And then the third statement was from our show with Bishop Strickland, which we run every week at LifeSite News. And Bishop Strickland's comment got us banned. So we were first banned for a week um, from posting at all, and we've just been banned for two weeks. So this is our second official strike. And as uh, most people who pay a lot of attention to this know, that after the fourth strike, you are permanently deleted from YouTube. Um, so this is very dangerous because the first uh, the first week, uh, we've been growing so exponentially at LifeSite. We were having, that week we had about 3 million views, and so we lost those in that first week. Uh, and then, it, you know, you have all sorts of repercussions. So the the effect is massive, and it's very real. Yeah, for sure. We're talking with John Henry Weston, editor of LifeSite News, LifeSiteNews.com. Uh, and we're talking about censorship, big tech censorship. You know, it, there's like a, there's a, a carving out or a molding of the narrative in society. 2017, uh, they changed the algorithm at YouTube and they really stepped up this censorship, the shadow banding, uh, changing the algorithm so you are no longer being, uh, recommended to new audiences. And then of course, uh, Google who owns YouTube, it actually analyzes every single word said in a video and then, uh, plays the algorithm through it so that if you say certain words or talk about certain topics, then they, they begin their shadow banding process. On the Facebook side, 2017, Zuckerberg said we are going to kill organic traffic to Facebook pages, business pages. Uh, and at that time, it was like 16% of anybody who likes your Facebook page ever saw anything you put on it. Now, I think it's down to like 4% or something. So uh, we've seen the sort of the, 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 the building blocks being put into place to make this possible. And in 2020, in the American election, it seems like they've used this new toolbox of theirs to shape that conversation what do you think john henry weston well absolutely they have all sorts of tricks and tools to affect the elections to affect all sorts of things this is very much a control of the media and as we all know the social media platforms get a an exemption that news media organizations like ours like lifesite news do not they get basically section 230 allows them in (laughs) Uh, to post without being sued because it's supposed to be their users are posting, so therefore they're allowed to let them and not worry about it. Whereas news agencies such as LifeSite News, we have to screen what we put out in order to say only the truth, otherwise we're liable to lawsuit. So they're not. Now, the thing is, though, um, this is being proposed to uh, get rid of that uh, loophole for them. However, 
they can put in their contracts that anyone who uses that has their own liability, et cetera, et cetera, which they've already done. So they are sort of guarding themselves. They're huge monopolies from being uh, really um, taken down. However, I mean, they need to be pulled apart because this this kind of thing, they have a total chokehold over information. And so it is an impossible situation that's frankly dangerous for uh, the American people. It's dangerous for the future of our elections. Look, they, I talked to Robert Epstein, who's really a, a researcher from uh, the best schools. He was all Ivy League. He's looked into this more than anyone else probably on earth. And he said, look, they are manipulating elections to the tune of six and seven percent. Wow. That's massive. Yeah. And when tight elections come, like the one we just experienced, um, you can really swing the election in one direction or another. And the only reason this election was tight, of course, is because of the massive, massive cheating that went on. You know, this this election would have been a cakewalk for the president. And it's interesting because the reason why the fraud uh, had to go up to such a level that they got caught was because... <laughs> The, the normal, the normal Google cheating, which is to manipulate the search results, um, was not working enough to sway the election in Biden's favor. That's that's why this has transpired the way it has. I mean, the the way they do it is fascinating. They're really smart. Uh, you type in uh, top of your page, you no know, Biden versus Trump, mm-hmm. and the first six results will show something very positive for Biden, yeah. um, and mm-hmm. maybe something one or two negatives. So you always see, you do see some negative, but psychologically they know. Oh, but they're going to look at all the positives and not that. And yet, if you type in Trump, you get the reverse. Yeah. Um, and so it's just it's an incredible system of manipulation which they know psychologically worked because they study it and they're able to swing elections. It's, it's really a nefarious business and it's one that threatens democracy. Yeah, for sure. And I think it was last week, uh, President Trump said that he was not going to, uh, approve a uh, spending bill for, I think it was Department of Defense until they address this, uh, this 230 protection that social platforms Enjoy and essentially, social platforms are considered public or neutral, and because of that, they are protected from lawsuits. But the reality is, they're acting like publishers. Now, Life, John Henry Weston, you're the editor of LifeSite News. You obviously have an agenda. You have a bias. You you pick and choose what stories you're going to uh, to publish. As do I. Uh, so you obviously understand the differences between public platform and private publishing maybe you can explain them better to us well absolutely i mean very clearly when you publish you have the right to decide what you will cover our our news service focuses on life family faith and culture so we look at those issues specifically and you know we don't cover the big snowstorm that's coming uh and things like this so <laughs> yeah. ours is very you know we're very targeted in terms of what we do and because we are a, a unabashedly pro-life news service we cover and write things from a pro-life perspective without without apology, and that's what our readers expect. Now, the mainstream media pretends that they are non-biased, and so they right. pretend and accept public dollars for for you know presenting what they consider a neutral perspective, and that honestly is garbage. Unfortunately, it's complete mm-hmm. utter bunk. They are totally pro-abortion. Um, they won't even refer to pro-lifers as pro-life. 
they refer to them as anti-abortion, and right. then to the the so-called pro-abortion folks as pro-choice. It, it shows their bias in spades. Mm. And yet they, you know, they say there's a neutrality, there's a freedom uh, for for everyone, which totally doesn't exist. Yeah, and as I was saying earlier, um, you know, whoever controls the information, they have they hold a lot of power. Yeah. Um, as we saw, they that they had the power. Um, to sway the election to the point where even though there are literally eight states who are going to the Supreme Court over election fraud, you will still find a majority of people saying there there is no evidence. There is no evidence of voter fraud. And whoever has the information also holds power over the culture. Um, I'm not sure if you saw John Henry Weston, but recently people were sharing on Facebook an image of um, it was a very sensitive image, so offensive yeah, I that Facebook a video about had to cover it up. It was so <laughs> offensive. Uh, if you uncovered the photo, it was Santa Claus kneeling at the crib of baby Jesus. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and to the point where they're censoring Christianity, they're censoring the culture. Um, John Henry Weston, how do you overcome this? Well, we really, we really need, first of all, to recognize that it happens. So... Facebook actually did this first in 2018. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful image, actually, of, you know, Santa Claus in, in a the tr- sort of very traditional Santa Claus kneeling down, uh, sort of genuflecting and kneeling in front of the baby Jesus in the crib. Very beautiful image. Nothing, absolutely nothing controversial about it mm-hmm. whatsoever other than its beauty. And Facebook says it's violent or graphic. Right. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But of course, they claim that they'll let you see it by clicking through. But of course, you know, most people don't. They they see this warning, violent, yeah. graphic. Oh gosh, maybe I shouldn't. And so they don't. And so Facebook, they're very, uh, you know, they're they're conniving in this in this fashion because they can claim, oh, so yes. In order to do something about this, people really need to change their habits. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, people need to go directly to lifesightnews.com to your wonderful webpage so that they can access the true information. They're not going to yeah. get it through the social media anymore because they are they need to stop relying on it as their source of news. They need to go directly Amen. to those sources that they want. We are uh, talking with John Henry Weston. He's the editor of LifeSite News, uh, LifeSiteNews.com. We have, about, we have about five or six minutes left in our conversation with him. Uh, we're talking about big tech censorship. John Henry, you know, over the weekend, uh, I watched a film called Mr. Jones. It came out in uh, this year, 2020, uh, and I had never even heard of this film, but uh, I had went back and watched uh, Tom Hanks in uh, The Bridge of Spies. And um, someone recommended this new film, Mr. Jones, to me. So I watched it, and it was a little dark, and it was a little hard uh, to watch. But essentially, it was about the Welsh reporter who travels to Russia uh, before the World War II in order to determine a couple of things. One, what is the status of Stalin? Uh, is he looking at Hitler from a, an adversarial standpoint as a, as a, or is he looking at him as, as far as an ally? How will he treat the British? That was one aspect. And then while he's there, he discovers because he had been digging into the finances of Russia and Stalin being able to do and produce all these new wonderful things, but where is he getting the money? Well, he discovered that he was getting the money by starving the Ukrainian people to literally death. And he ends up uh, going into Ukraine clandestinely and uh, and seeing this devastation. A million people 
uh, dead and more dying every day. They were, he was literally starving these people, stealing all of their food and their resources, treating them like slave labor, like Hitler did the Jews. And then he tried to tell the world, and it was the news media outlets that turned on him and reported the opposite story. Uh, have you ever seen that film, John Henry Weston? No, I can't say that I have. I haven't seen many movies in 2020. But you know what kills me about this? So Hollywood recognizes the, the media <laughs> twisting of f- facts and stories. And uh, and I'm sure that big tech isn't censoring Mr. Jones. And yet we st- we here we are dealing with the same things. Um, do you see well, LifeSite News, for example, as being an alternative source? And there's others. I like Epic Times. There, there are many other sources out there that we have to now go to. Do you see a brighter day in the future when it comes to news and information? Or, or are we going to be dealing with a censorship thing for quite a while? Well, I think old habits are hard to break. So, yes, we're going to be dealing with it for quite a while. But all of these challenges present real opportunities. Whenever you have the the manipulation becomes so gross, so evident, so obvious, you're a, you, you have to use them as teaching opportunities. And I mean for all of us, but specifically for our kids, never before in history could you point to the manipulation of the media with such obvious impact. You can show your kids live the manipulation of the media. And that's a great thing because you're able to teach them to look at things with a critical eye. Whereas in the past, you have whole generations of people who just believe it like it's gospel truth. Go talk to your relatives who are in their, you know, late 60s, 70s, 80s. They're listening to CNN like it is the absolute gospel. (laughs) And and without, you know, and they just trust. And if you say anything different, they look at you like you have two heads. What is wrong with you? I know. You know, and so there is this, that is on the wane, that is leaving, because we're able to show our next generation the truth about the manipulation of media, and they see it. So there is some advantage there, but we've got to do everything we can to actually turn off the mainstream media. It is feeding, unfortunately, it's really feeding false information, and you've got to trust sources. And that's very difficult because there are a lot of sources on the Internet that are nonsense, that are wildly speculative. Mm. Um, but there are trusted agencies out there. Uh, LifesightNews.com now, we've been around for a quarter of a century, uh, dating myself big time. Wow. By Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You know, one of the things, uh, we have about three minutes left in our conversation before we have okay. to say goodbye here, or two and a half minutes, rather. Uh, one of the things that does concern me, though, John Henry, is that I believe most people under 30 aren't watching CNN. They don't watch MSNBC. They don't watch Fox News, even. I definitely they don't. probably don't watch uh, Newsmax or The Blaze or Breitbart or anything else. But we are on Twitter. And Instagram <laughs> and uh, TikTok and MeWe, all these platforms, they're getting their information from uh, their favorite social media influencer. How do we get over that? You have about two minutes. Oh, that, that's a really tough one. Yeah, the, the 30 set, the 20 to 30 set is definitely on Twitter. The the younger generations, they're on TikTok and other, other media. It is, it is incredibly difficult. Their own people in that generation sort of have to work in those various media to create the channels that will still bring truth. That sounds really weird, perhaps, with TikTok and many of these, uh, <laughs> yeah. perhaps stranger, uh, you know, media. But nonetheless, getting in there to provide truth is still important. But being able to train them to look to the proper media that it 
it is a training process, but we've got to do it. And again, it speaks to the future of the United States. It's, it's the future of really democracy in the whole wide world. Last question, really quick. Do you recommend alternative platforms like Parler, for instance, MeWe, or the Rumble, these kinds of things? Yes, definitely. I mean, we're really what I recommend is going directly to the source. Yeah. That's the most important thing because all of these platforms are owned by other people and therefore other people can be bought out. Other people can change. You need to go directly. So that's why I encourage people go directly to lifesitenews.com, grab our news directly so that you can't be turned off because yourselves, ourselves, we're going to have to switch media platforms every once in a while depending on who turns us off at what time. There's no way to say that we won't be turned off. And so the only way to do it really is to go directly to the source. All right. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. John Henry Weston, editor of LifeSiteNews.com. Thank you for being on the show today. Awesome. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you, too. All right. That's going to do it for the first hour, Emily. Uh, one hour done. Next hour to come, we're going to have the greatest Catholic trivia game show in radio history right here on Catholic Drive Time coming up next hour. Three questions, three opportunities to win some prizes. Uh, stick around for that. If you want to be a contestant, the number to call is 877-757-9424. You want to win some prizes? Good opportunity. 877-757-9424. Raymond Arroyo will also be our guest in the next hour talking about his brand new book, out for Christmas, The Spider Who Saved Christmas, a legend. It is published by Sophia Institute Press. We're giving that away. All coming up next, Catholic Drive Time. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. sexual lifestyle attempt to justify their behavior by saying their same-sex attraction is natural for them. That's to say they didn't choose it. But is this justification reasonable? I answer no, and here's why. First, an individual's inclination or desire can't be the standard for morally evaluating human behavior. Such logic leads to the justification of any behavior, even ones we intuitively recognize as immoral. Second, the objection associates the term natural merely with an individual's tendency, as opposed to tendencies that are common to our nature as human beings. That's to say, those tendencies that belong to our species as such and target objective goods that perfect our nature. An individual's same-sex attraction might be independent of his or her choice, but that doesn't make it natural in the sense of giving moral justification to act on it. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. In the Old Testament, Joshua confronts the Israelites as they prepare to leave their life in the desert to enter the Promised Land. He knows that the negative influences of Egypt and the surrounding Canaanite peoples are strong, and so he gives them a choice. Worship either the idols of the land or the one true God who delivered them from the land of Egypt. 
But why would the Israelites choose false idols over a God whose power they witnessed so clearly? Worshipping the God who performs so many clear signs seems like the obvious choice, right? But Joshua knew that the lures of the world had already blurred their vision. Sound familiar? We too are pressured to fit in for the sake of success in this world. Joshua did not waver. He said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Which God would you choose today, the gods of the land or the one true God? Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be on with you this morning. Praise God. How are you? Hopefully you're on your way to wherever you're going today. Work, school, errands, back to the house, whatever is on your agenda today. We pray that you will have a great day. Emily Alcaraz is here. Good morning, Emily. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing? Praise Jesus, I'm alive. That <laughs> Same counts. Here. That counts. <laughs> of course, uh, Adrian Fonseca, our producer, is on with us. Uh, good morning, Adrian. Morning. How are you? Uh, it looks like an Olympic sport having to produce this show. Yeah, it's, I think I could uh, win a gold medal at this. <laughs> it's like maybe, what? maybe silver. Have you ever watched an organ player at church uh, play? It's I think that, sh- that should be an Olympic sport. K A T H nine ten A M Frisco Dallas Fort Worth. Yeah. Something like that. I can't wrap my mind around no, it. No, I can't How either. people do that. That's insane. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today. We just had a great conversation with John Henry Weston, editor of LifeSite News, LifeSiteNews.com, about big tech censorship. But in this hour, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We have, of course, the Catholic Trivia Game Show, Fear and Trembling. Well, we are going to give out uh, prizes this week, uh, and Sophia Institute Press is going to, uh, I think, provide those prizes this week. And if you want to be a contestant on that program, which is coming up here in just about 10 minutes from now. All you need to do is call the line 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424, and you could possibly be a guest on Fear and Trembling and get an opportunity to win some prizes. Plus, Raymond Arroyo will be on in this hour to talk about his brand new book, Just in Time for Christmas, which is published by Sophia called The Spider Who Saved Christmas, A Legend. So we'll be discussing that with Raymond in this hour after the half hour, bottom of the hour break. We have uh, breaking news and stories with Emily Alcaraz, but let's first pray. Collect your intentions. Let's bring them. Let's unite them together. Let's bring them to Our Lady and have her whisper them into the ear of her son that he may... Uh, he may guard us, guide us, and protect us, and draw us ever so more intimately into his most sacred heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Amen. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. The state of Texas has sued four other states over the election voting counts. The lawsuit with the U.S. Supreme Court is against Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin. 
It accuses these states of running unconstitutional elections by changing their election laws, treating voters unequally, and enabling significant voting irregularities through relaxing the measures that kept elections secure. Eight other red states have also joined the Texas Supreme Court suit. The Supreme Court has ordered the defendant states to respond to Texas's motions by Thursday, December 10th. Two Catholic high schools in Michigan are suing over the coronavirus order keeping them closed. Two high schools in the Diocese of Lansing have joined a lawsuit against a public health order keeping schools in Michigan closed for in-person learning, calling the order scientifically, educationally, and constitutionally unjustified. The schools argue in the lawsuit that the school's COVID-19 safety plans have largely prevented the spread of the virus and say Governor Whitmer's order interferes with free religious exercise. The Vatican is seeking an eight-year sentence for the ex-president of the Vatican Bank. The 81-year-old Angelo Caloia was president of the Institute for Religious Works, also known by its Italian initials IOR, from 1989 to 2009. Caloia has been accused of money laundering and embezzlement. The Vatican's promoter of justice also sought an eight-year term sentence for Caloia's lawyer, the 96-year-old Gabriel Liuzzo, as well as Liuzzo's son, for money laundering and self-laundering. The Vatican City State Tribunal reportedly announced that the court would issue its sentence on January 21, 2021. Pope Francis has proclaimed a year dedicated to St. Joseph. The Holy Father issued an apostolic letter yesterday entitled Patris Corde, dedicated to the foster father of Jesus. The Pope wrote, Each of us can discover in Joseph, the man who goes unnoticed, a daily, discreet, and a hidden presence, an intercessor, a support and a guide in times of trouble. St. Joseph reminds us that those who appear hidden or in the shadows can play an incomparable role in the history of salvation. This year, the faithful are granted a plenary indulgence when they recite any approved prayer or act of piety in honor of St. Joseph, especially on his special feast days and those of the Holy Family. These are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. The year was 1487, and uh, the Portuguese were rounding the Cape of Good Hope around Africa on their way to the Indies to create trade and opportunity to increase their wealth and their stature, their grandeur in the eyes of Europe by uh, sort of monopolizing that trade. In Spain, it was Ferdinand and Isabel that were well on their way to reconquering Spain against the Moors uh, and conquering it again for Christ after 700 years. There was a a young man who had just entered the Franciscans named Zumarga. He was in his novitiate year that year in 1487. There was a young little baby named Hernan Cortez just hanging on to dear life. His parents would beg the intercession of St. Peter and Paul and other saints to come to save their little baby, Hernan. In a world away across an ocean that uh, so many Europeans feared to travel across, there was a 13-year-old native man, a little boy actually. And in the year 1487, he, he had a front row seat to one of the greatest holocausts in man's history. There was... Uh, a temple that had just been built in Mexico City, what would one day be called Mexico City or uh, the Cactus Rock. 
And on this day in 1487, there was a, a, a special sacrifice being prepared to inaugurate this new pagan temple. This temple itself was over a 100 feet tall. There were staircases on all four sides of this pyramid, each with 114 steps, and straight roads that led to the base of these steps, out through all uh, through the towns and over to the horizons. And yet there were... 80,000 human beings lined up on all four roads, climbing all four steps to the top platform where there were pagan priests waiting for them. And the beat of the drums with the snakeskin coverings could be heard two miles away. And this young little 13-year-old boy had to witness the slaughter for four days and four nights of 80,000 human beings. Their hearts were ripped out from their chests while they still beat Their bodies were cast over the side, tumbling down the stairs. Their limbs were removed in order to be eaten uh, by the people of Mexico City. Or at the time, it wasn't called that, but that's what we're talking about. There were many dark and diabolical practices in the Aztec Empire. And the the day was coming when the light of Christ would dawn and the darkness would not be able to vanquish it. This young little 13-year-old boy in 1524 would be baptized Juan Diego. And one of the crimes, one of the great sins that were being committed in the Aztec Empire was polygamy. And Juan Diego had to give up on his other wives. He lived with his first wife until she passed away not many years later. And then he lived as a poor uh, peasant uh, native. He... He weaved cactus fiber into blankets and tents and other things, and of course his his own tilma. And then on December the 9th, 1531, while he was walking many miles to go to Holy Mass, a daily Mass, mind you, this was a Saturday in December the 9th, 1531, he was encountered there on Tepeyac Hill, a desert-like hill, with the Mother of God. The sweetest music was heard. He thought it was all the birds singing this one beautiful heavenly tune. And then he saw the glory of this beautiful woman who approached him and spoke to him in just the most loving, kindly, mother-like tone. My little son, I love you, she would say. What a blessed and incredible thing. She would, she would identify herself as with him and the people there who were had been struggling for so many centuries with this diabolical death cult, which was worshipping the devil himself. Some say that uh, Juan Diego was a prince among his people, although he was not of a of the, the highest aristocracy class, and that he gave it all up when he became Catholic to live this simple the simple peasant life, this penitential life, and he would wake up every day to go to daily Mass, again, walking sometimes 15 miles per day just to go to Holy Mass. And yet, how many times do we complain when Mass goes a little long or the parking is a little too full? I'm speaking of myself here. I think St. Juan Diego can teach us a valuable lesson in all this. Of course, Our Lady sent him to see the bishop. I'll tell the rest of the story on Friday uh, before we go to the weekend because Our Lady of Guadalupe's feast day is Saturday. So I'll, I'll share a little bit on Friday. But St. Juan Diego would eventually get through to Bishop Samarga, and he would eventually show the sign that Our Lady would send. And this happened starting on December the 9th. By Christmas, by December the 26th, the, the little chapel that Our Lady asked for was built. Could you imagine the speed at which that had to happen? 
to convince the bishop, number one, and then began to build the building. By Christmas, it was built, and the tilma was inside this chapel, and there, Juan Diego would spend the rest of his life telling the story of the lady who came from heaven to convert in mass the people of the Aztec Empire. Between 1532 and 1536, 5 million native peoples asked to be baptized. Asked. They weren't forced. They weren't told. They they were asking. They were coming to the missionaries in droves. Missionaries would show up to villages and they would come out begging to be baptized. There are records to corroborate these stories. You should look them up. One great reference book I received on the feast day of St. Nicholas uh, was... Warren Carroll's Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness. Fantastic book. I absolutely love it. I think you should read it. It's wonderful. St. Juan Diego is a humble, pious, incredible, saintly figure for our time. He should teach us what it means to be simple in our faith, childlike even. And wasn't it Jesus Christ himself who said, Let the babies come unto me, for unless you are innocent like a dove, right? Remember that? St. Juan Diego. Pray for us. Now your gospel for today comes to us from Matthew chapter uh, 11, verses 28 through 30. Quote, Jesus said to the crowds, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The gospel of the Lord. Emily, we only have a few minutes left before we go to our game show. Uh, again, if you want to be a contestant, 877-757-9424 is the number to call. But Emily, you know what I love about that gospel passage? What? The reference to the Old Testament there that I think most of us miss. We see that, we think, we think in sort of a, the terms of our, our 21st century viewpoints of, oh yes, Jesus makes life easy on us. And he is saying that. Right? When we mm-hmm. trust in Him, and when, no matter what we get, St. Teresa of uh, Lesseau would say, I get whatever I want, because I want whatever I get. And I think that is uh, at the heart of what Jesus is saying to us in our time. But He also was saying something very specific to those first century Jews. And if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 12, you see the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, or, yeah, Rehoboam, actually increasing the burden increasing the heaviness of the yoke upon the people through taxes. And Jesus is referencing this passage by making his statement there in Matthew chapter 11. Had you had you heard of that before? Oh, definitely not, but until you mentioned it today, but it doesn't surprise me that um, you know, when Jesus whenever Jesus spoke, there were many levels and a lot of depth to everything that he said. Yeah. It, it, that's what I love about sacred scripture. I love the the multiple the onion theory at the multiple layers and the levels there. And if you go back to look at that encounter between Rehoboam and the people of God, you see the arrogance that had built up in the uh on the uh the kingdom of David there under Solomon. Solomon broke all three of the of the rules that uh, Moses set place in Deuteronomy 17 for Israelite kings, they should not multiply wives, they should not multiply gold, they should not multiply horses, Deuteronomy 17. And yet King Solomon had a 1,000 wives, 700 concubines. He had 666 gold talents delivered to him by his vassal kingdoms every year. And then, of course, he not only had whole cities full of, of horses for his cavalry, 
but he also uh, bought them from Egypt, which Moses strictly forbid. So we're seeing the, the triple concupiscence thing going on there, and this is a bad sign. And, of course, Rehoboam is the penultimate version of that by his saying, you think my dad was hard? Oh, wait till you see my taxes. I'm going to double up on you. You're going to be uh, you're going to be paying these uh, incredible taxes just to show your obedience to me. And that led to the split, the divorce in the kingdom of Israel. So that is your gospel for today. It's time now for the greatest Catholic trivia game show in radio. We'll call it Fear and Trembling. We're going to go to break. We're going to come right back. We're going to have an opportunity to give out some prizes, learn a little bit about our faith, have a lot of fun doing it. And you can be a contestant by just calling 877-757-9424. You want to be on the program? We'll take the first caller at 877-757-9424. Don't forget, Raymond Arroyo is going to be on our program just a little while. He's going to be talking about his brand new book, The Spider Who Saved Christmas, a legend. All that coming up, plus the Catholic Trivia Game Show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't miss it. We'll be right back. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while... We'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Protestants like to use James 2, 10 through 11 against the Catholic doctrine of mortal and venial sin. Because James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But James can't be denying the doctrine of mortal and venial sin because in 115 he affirms it, saying that sin in its beginning stages doesn't bring death, venial sin, whereas it does in its more mature stages, mortal sin. The point James is making in James 2, 10 through 11 is that we must keep all the commandments in order to avoid incurring the guilt of transgressing the law. We can't say to the Lord on Judgment Day, Lord, I only broke one commandment but kept the other nine. So James 2, 10 through 11 is simply a misfire in trying to take down the Catholic belief of mortal and venial sin. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. For 2,000 years, we've helped the poor and comforted the sick. We've educated generations of children, developed the scientific method and college system. We support marriage and human life. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible. We are the Catholic Church. With over one billion in our family, sharing in the fullness of Christian faith in the church started by Jesus. If you've been away, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome home. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host... 
Joe McClain. Welcome back to Fear and Trembling, the greatest Catholic trivia game show on radio today, at least. Uh, we're going to have a great great time today. We have uh, three questions. This is how the game works. So I don't ask the caller these questions. Instead, I ask them to Emily and to Adrian. One of them will have a right answer. One of them will have a wrong answer. All the caller has to do is decide who's right and who's wrong. They'll have 15 seconds to answer that. If they get it right, well, then they get a chance to win our prize uh, this week. And uh, tell them what they want, Emily. Tell them what they could win, Emily. Okay, so this week our sponsors for the prize are Sophia Institute Press. Now, Sophia Institute Press publishes and distributes faithful Catholic classics and new texts from the great Catholic intellectual tradition. In 30 years, they've published over 300 titles and distributed 3 million books worldwide to hundreds of thousands of individuals, bookstores, and institutions. And today, uh, we're going to be giving away... Raymond Arroyo's new book nice. called The Spider Who Saved Christmas. Wonderful. Uh, it's, it's a very charming book. I think, uh, if you have children, they'll love it. So just to be clear, we're going to give that prize out on Friday. We'll do a yes. drawing mm-hmm. and then, so we will announce that live on the air after Friday's, uh, Fear and Trembling Game Show. Let's go to the phones. Cynthia from San Antonio, Texas is calling in. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. How are you? Praise Jesus. I'm alive. How are you? Blessed. <laughs> That's good. Praise God. <laughs> well, this is how it works, Cynthia. I'm going to ask Emily and Adrian the easiest possible questions I can find in the uh, in the Catholic trivia game here. And then all you have to do within 15 seconds is tell me who's right and who's wrong. 50-50 chance. If you get it right, your name will go into the uh, the. the the, the, what are we calling it? The, the fishbowl of divine providence. The fishbowl of divine providence. <laughs> and then on Friday, we will pull out a winner. Now, if you get three questions right, you get three chances to win. And so the number of chances, depending on how many times you get it right. Is that is that clear enough for you there, Cynthia? Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Praise be to Jesus. Are you ready to go? <laughs> I'm ready. All right, here we go. Emily and Adrian, we'll start with you, Emily. Okie dokie. What term refers to the sorrow for sin because of the love of God. What term refers to the sorrow for sin because of the love of God? Uh, easy. Contrition. That's why we say the act of contrition, contrition. after confession. Contrition is your final answer. Yes, sir. Adrian, what say you? Well, there has to be a distinction that has to be made here. Does there? Yes, because it's not just contrition. It's Perfect contrition. Are you sure? I am sure. Okay. Adrian is on the board for perfect contrition. Emily's on the board for contrition. Cynthia, 15 seconds on the clock. What say you? I would say perfect contrition. Whoa! Right out of the gate. Praise be to Jesus. Congratulations. That is called a right answer. Wow. You're, you're, in, you are officially in the fishbowl of divine providence now to win the prize from Sophie and Stu Press. Congratulations, Cynthia. How do you feel about that? I feel good. Praise God. Praise be to Jesus. Congratulations. I think we got a ringer here on the phone. Okay, so are you ready for the second question, Cynthia? I'm ready. All right, here we go. How do mendicants earn their living? We'll start with Adrian. Adrian, how do mendicants earn their living? Well, uh, mendicants earn their living by begging, so they're they're beggars. So that's they're, my, my, beggars. my answer: is beggars, begging. Okay. You're sure? Uh, pretty, pretty, All right. pretty. Emily, sure. how do mendicants earn their living? Uh, I'm not sure. I think maybe they maybe they sell items that they make. Okay, possibly. So, like, uh, what about galas? 
Do they do galas, maybe? Oh, I'm sure they do that, too. <laughs> uh, okay. So, fundraisers, fundraisers. Let's say that. Foundations, all, all of that in 2020, right? So, right. Right, Emily is on the board for... For selling of items and fundraising, Adrian's on the board for begging. Cynthia, 15 seconds on the clock. How do mendicants earn their living? What say you, Cynthia? I'll go with Emily. You're going to go with Emily. Survey says... I'm so oh, sorry. Cynthia, I'm so sorry. So sorry. They, they, they actually do beg. They do I beg. I didn't know what it was. Okay. <laughs> At least they're supposed to be beggars. Yeah. <laughs> you get a 50-50 chance, that's for sure. All right. Yeah. Third question, Cynthia. I think you got this. This is going to be an easy one. We only use the easiest questions for last. So this, you're already in the bowl, the fishbowl of divine providence to possibly win this brand new Christmas book from Raymond Dororio. By the way, we'll be interviewing him here in just a few minutes. But third question, Emily, we'll start back with you. Okie dokie. Let's see here. What is the common term for Our Lady of Chestahova? The common term for Our Lady of Chestahova. Oh, this one I do know. I grew up in a Polish neighborhood, Polish really? parish. Yes, she's called the Black Madonna. The Black Madonna. Mm-hmm. Because of the soot that darkened the the icon. Are you sure? Yes. Sounds mm-hmm. very confident. Adrian Fonseca, what is the common term for Our Lady of Chestahova? See, she's that, that seemed like too uh, too obvious an answer. I'm gonna go with something even more obvious okay. and say the Queen of Poland. The Queen. Of the Queen Poland. of Poland. I think that just makes sense. You know, That's a pretty good guess there, I'd say. Uh, all right, uh, Cynthia, you have two options. Emily is on the board for the Black Madonna. Adrian is on the board for Queen of Poland. Cynthia, 15 seconds. What say you? Emily, Black Madonna. Survey says... Praise Jesus, Another entry. You're, well you're, done. That was very good. Very, very good. I wonder how many people knew that. By the way, uh, Emily, do you have you ever heard of Gushtikis? Uh, should this be another a bonus question? No. Gushtikis. No. Polish neighborhood and you've never had a gushtiki? No, I have pierogies. <laughs> pierogies. We love pierogies. How about uh, how about kielbasa? You've oh, eaten, of course. Oh, eaten yeah. kielbasa. <laughs> Cynthia, speaking of kielbasa, one of our sponsors across the Guadalupe Radio Network is there in San Antonio like you are. What parish do you go to, Cynthia? St. Rose of Lima. St. Rose of Lima in San Antonio. Cynthia, we're very grateful for you being on our program today. Uh, congratulations. You're in the bowl for two uh, opportunities to possibly win the book from Raymond Arroyo from Sophia Institute Press. Go to their website, Sophia Institute Press, for more information. But we will pull the winner out on Friday after the show and announce that live on the air. But uh, congratulations, Cynthia. Thank you for being a part of our and program today. And please stay on the line so we can get your information. Thank you, guys. Thank you for everything. Thank Thank you, Cynthia. (laughs) All right, Cynthia, I'm going to put you on hold, and we will get your information so that if you're the winner, well, we'll be able to pull you out of the hat on Friday. Until then, may God richly bless you. Don't forget, Raymond Arroyo is coming up in just a few minutes. Stick around. Plus, breaking news and stories all coming up right now on Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Like they do many other Marian dogmas, Protestants reject Mary as the mother of God because they don't think it's scriptural. But if there's any Marian dogma that's biblical, it's Mary the mother of God. Consider Luke 143, where Elizabeth greets Mary as the mother of my Lord. As any Bible student knows, Lord is the title that the Jews used for Yahweh. But Protestants object that Lord can also be used for an earthly ruler. Although this is true, 
I think the context suggests the divine usage. The three times the word is used before verse 43, verses 28, 32, and 38, and the three times it's used after verse 43, verses 46, 58, and 68, it's used in reference to Almighty God. So does the Bible teach Mary is the mother of God? You bet it does. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to get along with your family? That sometimes the people in your family are downright uncongenial? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that is precisely why the family is so important. Because it is often uncongenial. Every family is filled with the same problematical people that you find everywhere else. And so... Anyone revolting against the family is simply revolting against mankind. As Chesterton says, Aunt Elizabeth is unreasonable, like mankind. Papa is excitable, like mankind. Our youngest brother is mischievous, like mankind. And so, if we can get along with our family, we can get along with anyone. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. These are your Wednesday morning headlines. The Ohio legislator passed a bill requiring the burial of aborted babies. The bill provides for a first-degree misdemeanor charge for anyone who knowingly fails to dispose of fetal remains legally. Mike Gonadakis, the president of Ohio Right to Life, applauded the bill's passage, saying, Whether pro-life or pro-choice, Everyone should be able to agree that the bodies of babies should never be thrown into the trash. Similar laws have been proposed in other states as well. Next year, Pope Francis will become the first pope to visit Iraq. The Vatican announced last week that the pope is scheduled to make his four-day visit in March of 2021 at the request of the Republic of Iraq and the local Catholic Church. During the trip, the Pope will visit the Christian communities in the Nineveh Plain, which were ravaged by the Islamic State from 2014 to 2016, causing Christians to flee the region. Pope Francis has repeatedly expressed his closeness to these persecuted Christian communities and his desire to visit Iraq. The Vatican has launched a Council for Inclusive Capitalism, seeking fundamental economic change. Over 100 of the world's largest investors and companies are participating under the moral guidance of His Holiness Pope Francis. The council founder, Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, stated that the body is focused on measurable actions for true system change, connected to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. In an interview, Rothschild said, We're not going to just turn on a switch and make greed go away. But one thing that's nice about being connected to the Vatican is a Christian principle of redemption and forgiveness. Pope Francis made a surprise visit to the statue of the Immaculate Conception in Rome yesterday. In his Angelus Address from St. Peter's, the Holy Father also said, Today's liturgical feast celebrates one of the wonders of the story of salvation, the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary. Even she was saved by Christ, but in an extraordinary way, because God wanted that the mother of his son not be touched by the misery of sin from the moment of her conception. These have been your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. 
Praise be to Jesus. Thank you, Emily. Uh, I just want to remind you to check out the uh, podcast or the the video on our YouTube channel for the first hour. We had a great conversation with John Henry Weston from LifeSide News about big tech censorship. I encourage you to check that out and all of the uh, conversation we had in the first hour. But uh, joining us on the phone right now is Raymond Arroyo, and he has a brand new book out with Sophia Institute Press called The Spider Who Saved Christmas, A Legend. Good morning, Raymond. It's good to have you on our program today. Raymond Royo. Good morning, Raymond. Yes, sir. How are you? Praise Jesus, I'm alive. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. Thanks for thanks for having me on. It's good to have you here. Thanks for uh, being a part of the program. Brand new book out uh, from Sophie Institute Press, The Spider Who Saved Christmas, A Legend. Tell us about this. Well, I'll tell you how I came upon it. This is a very old legend, and it's been around for centuries. It tells an interesting story. It fills a gap in the Christmas story that I guess most of us never even thought about. I certainly didn't. I never had heard this tale. But if you've ever seen Christmas tinsel, that sparkly tinsel on a Christmas tree, I used to think that represented an icicle or icicles. That's not true. (laughs) It is actually an homage and a remnant left from this legend. It's because of this legend that Eastern Europeans and others started putting tinsel on the tree. So I stumbled across this story in a Bible commentary. It was in a a, a footnote. And all it said is, there's an ancient legend about Mary, Jesus, and Joseph encountering a spider in a cave who performs a particular service to them on their way to Egypt. That's all it said. Wow. I didn't know anything (laughs) beyond that. So I started digging around. I made a note of it. I was actually working on one of my Will Wilder books when I found it. So uh, I made a note. About a year later, I dug up this ancient legend. There were many versions of it, but again, it was it was spare. There wasn't a lot there, just the basic tale. Mm. So it gave me a chance to kind of spend time with, if you will, these characters that we take for granted, um, that we've reduced, I think, in many ways, to Fontanini figures under our tree, Mary and Joseph and the mm-hmm. baby Jesus. And we think, oh, the wise men come, they bring the baby gifts, there's a star, animals bow down, curtain, and that's Christmas. And it wasn't that nice. <laughs> well, we miss the, 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 the meat of it, which is, first of all, the incarnational mystery of God coming among us and the stakes of that. Because though we don't feel it or consider it enough, I thought it important to make people aware of the, the – well, let me, let me back up and tell it to you this way. Few of us will have angels floating over our homes this Christmas or shepherds singing outside the doors or kings coming over for dinner. But all of us will experience anxiety, um, a sense of threat. And like this family in this story, Mary and Joseph, we too have been in our caves. We're worried about our loved ones. We want to protect them from sudden death outside. Mm. But the story here is if you have the eyes of faith, there is hope all around you. And grace comes in unexpected and even very common ways that you did not anticipate. And that's at the heart of this story. And it's, it is about this spider, who I don't want to ruin the story, but she does what spiders do. And in the doing, she protects this family, performs an amazing service, and uh, it, it's its own little miracle. And, and people say, well, you know, this, this isn't really Christmas. She, did she save Christmas? Well... <laughs> If you save Christ and you save Mary, that's Christmas to me. That's so, yeah, good. you save Christmas. 
We're talking with Raymond Arroyo. Of course, he is the host of The World Over Live and the, the author of the Will Wilder series and, and uh, many others, especially on uh, our Mother Angelica, who is a fan favorite here at the Guadalupe Radio Network. We're talking about his brand new book, The Spider Who Saved Christmas, published by Sophia Institute Press. Uh, it's fascinating, Raymond, that uh, I like how your creative mind works. You read a line and you then you imagine an entire world around that line. How much of a creative process was it for you? I know you, you touched on it a minute ago, but like, how long yeah. did it take for you to really envision and see after doing your research to see this story and put it on paper? Well, you know, stories take that in many ways, you know, we, we can't, men can't give birth to, 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 to life, but this is how I give birth. It's, it's my co-creative <laughs> act. And, and it takes, it, as a child, as it takes time for a child or a seed to grow in, in the earth, um, it takes time for a story to gestate and grow. And you have to kind of let it grow in its own time. Mm. Um, and so I always, you know, I have my, my notebooks and I, my wife wants to kill me because they're all over the house. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I scroll little notes here and there. I hear something or I see something or uh, someone will tell me a story. And I say, wow, that'll make that. That's that's a great tale. And you don't know quite what it's going to be. Is it a is it a is it a, a short story? Is it a novel? Is it a movie? What is that? Um, this I knew as I wrote it. I wanted a larger audience to experience it. I wanted multi generations to experience it. So I said, this really should be a picture book. And it has to be beautiful. But uh, uh, what I love in the letters I've gotten, I mean, even Anne Rice, the novelist, uh, wrote a review on Amazon. Really? Anne Rice? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Anne Rice, of all people. And Anne said, I love that St. Joseph emerges here as a Mm. protector. And he, he is strong and he's a, you know, He's a he's a virile uh, father protecting his family. Mm. We rarely see him that way. We often see him as you know the potted plant holding the lily in the background, which is not who this man was. I mean, he was a carpenter. Well, that's how they depict him, and I hate a lot of that art, frankly. Yeah. And so, uh, as sweet and nice as it is, it's a little um, it's it's diminishing of who he is and was. And I love the Pope just declared a year of Saint Joseph, and this book visually. And in the story, you get a sense of this man who he, he has a dream. He's told to move his family quickly out of out of um, Bethlehem and off to Egypt, mm. which he does. Um, but they're running for their lives, and there's real worry and concern here. And so it gave me a moment to stop and look at that and and, and imagine that. Yes, but. Uh, create a story that fits perfectly within the gospel. It doesn't violate anything there. But it's it, it allows us a new way into the story. And I love so many parents and grandparents have written me and said, you know, it, it's asked children when reading um, How the Spider Saved Christmas, or The Spider Who Saved Christmas, um, they are asking the right questions about why are they running? Um, you know, why is this, this child being sought? You know, um, who, what just happened? Where are they going? All of those questions are great for families to entertain and yeah. engage. And Randy Gallagos, my my uh, illustrator here, we burned through. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but we burned through three illustrators in this book because Ouch. I was so <laughs> deeply unhappy with. Uh, <laughs> wow! I think I remember well, Saint Kowalska having a similar experience uh, with the Divine well, Mercy you image. No, every now and then, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend I rise to that lofty <laughs> level, but I do have a pretty. Uh, 
I do have a pretty fixed idea of what I want when we start Amen. a project. And Amen. They I love weren't it. getting me there. They just were, it was it was looking like a, a cartoon, like something out of a you know those tender moments or precious moments, those big bloated headed uh, little uh. dolls you find at Hallmark <laughs> with the big eyes. Yeah. yeah, all the characters look like that. I'm like, guys, this is like an anime nightmare in my mind. <laughs> no, I'm not doing this. Yeah. So I found Randy Gallagos, and he's a wonderful. He, he's painted a lot of covers for fantasy novels and, and sci-fi, but he actually has a real deep understanding of this work and the gospels. And I thought, you know, let's talk to him and see his work. And he's created a classic old-world approach which is perfect. It, it, it fits so perfectly with the story. And that's the balance here. And being in TV and, and having produced things, it helped because I know that the visuals are often more important than anything you write. They won't get to the, the story if the visuals aren't appealing and beautiful. So Randy hand-painted all these oil spreads. They are like old-world masterpieces. And I just, the book, uh, people have loved the way it turned out, and I did as well. It's beautiful. Yeah, Raymond, you're such a wonderful example of uh, reclaiming the culture. And also, not not only through the news media and the information in that sense, but also through art and through writing. And the Catholic Church has such a long history and tradition of producing uh, phenomenal artwork. Uh, why do you think it's important to produce art that influences the culture? Well, uh, it, you know, I think of... People always ask me, why aren't you writing a book about the Pope or writing a book about politics? Or, I mean, those are the things you cover every day. And I, I, I have turned down, I don't know how many offers to do that. And the reason is, I don't want to spend my personal time and creative mind on things that are going to drag me or my audience into negative terrain. I have to deal with that as a reporter, uh, as, a, as a managing editor of a news show. I, I, I spend time in that muck every day. We need something that uplifts us and that yeah. challenges Amen. us and that tells us and reminds us who we are as mm. people and as creations of, of God and part of this creation. And so anything I can do to remind us of the wonder around us and um, and the hope that never dies. I mean, this story, the reason this is really resonating, this this book, you know, this little book, I, I mean, I never imagined it would do this. I, I knew it would it would find its audience. But... For the last four weeks, this book has been on the New York Times bestseller list, which is incredible. Wow. Um, and what that means is, what I think it means, is people are they're, they're very isolated. Mm. They mm-hmm. do feel like this family in some ways. And they have themselves found light in that darkness, um, in the darkness of their own caves. And that's what happens to this family. Look, at the start of the story, St. Joseph is frightened. He's he's scared by this big spider. I mean, if you have a, a spider the size of your fist, you know, <laughs> coming down. Your, I was going to bring this point up, actually. I, I mean, the spiders yeah. generally are scary to children, but you're writing a children's <laughs> right. book about spiders. Okay, great, go with it. Uh, yeah, well, and it worked. You know, I, how did you? Well, how did specifically on the artwork side of that? How did you yeah. go about trying to create a spider that wouldn't frighten every child that picked up <laughs> well, the book? It, look. It, it's a challenge. Look, it's a challenge. And, and, and St. Joseph, first of all, you do the right thing. Every, I always tell people, many times the choices you make in writing a book, if you're, if you're smart about it and you're true to the story, they're not your choices. They're the natural choices. They're the inspired choices that mm-hmm. come. Uh, Madeline La Angle, who wrote, um, A Wrinkle in Time, who was a woman of faith, used to say, 
uh, every author has to be a slave to his story or her story. And that's true. You don't get really to write it. The story writes itself. The characters will tell you where to go. It was natural to have St. Joseph and Mary and Jesus come into the cave, see the spider, and the first thing Joseph would do is the first thing I would do. You grab the staff and you take the webs down and you try to cover them. <laughs> That's what you do. And so that natural, that, so that gives me a little, um, though I didn't realize it at the time, you realize these things later. Uh, it gives you a little uh, narrative cover because the audience instantly says, oh, that's right, that's what I would do too. And then you go on with the story. Then you're willing to go with the rest of it. So, you no, know, spiders are naturally scary. I think um, I, I don't like spiders around. Um, I think a lot of mothers and grandmothers I know don't like them. But guess what? Kids love spiders and anything that crawls around. <laughs> Not my so kids. I knew I had that. <laughs> I knew I had that. You know, most of them do. Most of them do. They like spiders. They, yeah, they like creepy things. Yeah, that's um, true. So I knew if I could bend that a little bit and make her sympathetic. Mm. And um, and there are a lot of reflections here. You know, Nephila. I named my spider Nephila. It's named after the breed of spider. It's it's the Latin name for that spider. Mm. Uh, they're golden orb weavers, and golden orb weavers spin the rarest silks, and they were collected. These wow. silks were collected by kings, and they would they would upholster furniture with them and make uh, garments out of them. Um, so I figured if Jesus is going to meet a spider in the Middle East, it better be you better know, be the best. Kind of, <laughs> oh no, this is like the queen of spiders, and it makes the rarest of silk. So, um, and I knew I had to humanize her a little bit. And look, we did play a bit with the her, her you know her illustration took a lot of time because I can imagine the, the truth. Well, the truth of the matter is they're pretty ugly spiders. I mean, they're, they're gorgeous. The backs are beautiful. Like, yeah. they're like mother of pearl brooches moving around. I mean, they're beautiful to look at. But if you look at the face, they have these sunken eyes and you have the furry face. It's not the prettiest, you know, thing. <laughs> so you, this is where you take artistic license. That's but I right. Also feel this, uh, look, I've known a few saints in my day, too. They're not always pretty or nice. <laughs> But we go with it, you know. We go with, you, go with it. You've it's been talking to my wife recently, I can this. tell. We're talking with Raymond Oroyo <laughs> about this brand new book, The Spider Who Saved Christmas, A Legend. It's published by Sophia Institute Press. You can find more information at sophiainstitutepress.com. We have about, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes left in our time with Raymond before we say goodbye for the day on Catholic Drive Time. Uh, I wanted to, you know, talk about this spider in particular because it reminded me, yeah. Raymond, of when uh, Veggie Tales. Uh, God rest their souls. You know, it's a long sorted oh, yeah. history there. But anyway, yeah. when they made Jonah and the behind the scenes on Jonah, they talked about the same trouble they had creating a fish that was uh, lovable enough or, you know, not so scary uh, yeah. to to frighten children. And so I thought, I bet Raymond had the same issue here. But one of the things that I really liked uh, about this concept is that all of creation recognizes Christ, recognizes the Lord. You know, it's like every once in a while on your Facebook feed, you'll see a picture of a dog kneeling before a tabernacle or something like that. Yeah. Or the yeah. stories of donkeys who've recognized Christ's presence in the Eucharist. And, mm-hmm. and you know, those are endearing stories, and they, that we, they capture our attention. And here is a story that's in similar nature. All of creation recognizes its creator, I think. And I think it's just a beautiful takeaway. I've had people ask me, why, why would you, why would you tell this legend? Why are you retelling this legend? Well, part of it is, legends exist, the same reason stories exist, because they contain a kernel of wisdom or a bit of information we need to survive in the world or understand the world better. Every story does. And 
The moment I made the connection and realized I had traveled through Eastern Europe, through Poland and Ukraine at Christmas time, and I'd seen these beautiful trees just yeah. tinsel all over them. And they actually, in Poland, they put spider ornaments on the branches of the tree. Now, I didn't pay any attention. I thought, oh, look at these people. They, I guess they put spiders on their tree. You know, I know somebody <laughs> puts elephants on their tree. Maybe that's just their, their way of commemorating the holidays. Um, but when I realized that this was a reflection of a story that we had lost, and then when I rediscovered the story, I thought it's really important for kids to make that connection. And it gives them an on-ramp into the nativity, into the Holy Family, that otherwise I do think we we blur by. We just go through because there's so much happening during the holidays. You've got people coming over, and you're now you're battling COVID, and you're trying to get the tree up, and you're tra- yeah. there's so much mm-hmm. going on that I think we miss the reason for all this. So in some ways, this little insignificant, even frightening spider calls us back to that reality. And as you said, nature sometimes is the best reminder of divinity. If you take a moment and and breathe and watch it and look at it for a moment. So, um, you know, Tolkien had a great line about legend and he, he used to say, legends are really truth and, and but largely made of truth, mm. he said. And I think that's right. That's why they endure, because they are largely made of truth. And sometimes with a legend or or a story, you can tell much more truth than you can in clear reportage and a recitation of facts. So I'm, you know, I love that the story is reaching its audience. Amen. And more importantly, um, mothers and fathers and, and grandparents are talking to children and the, the the generations of meeting at different places in this story. At one point, Mary says to Joseph after he tries to kill the spider, he, she, <laughs> there's, a, there's one of my beautiful, my favorite spreads in the book. If you go to discoverlegends.com, there's kind of a preview of the book there. You can see some reviews and there are also several buying options. You can go to your local stores, which I recommend. The independent stores are hurting. I mean, all over Texas, I, I used to go visit half-price stores, half-price books every time I was in Texas. Yeah. They put on great book events for me. So many of these retailers are hurting. Go to those stores. Um, if you go to discoverlegends.com, we have an indie book link for the independent bookstores in your area. Wonderful. I really do encourage you to go support them. Um, they're, they're, they're struggling. But um, the, the, Mary tells Joseph as he as he tries to kill the spider, she grabs the staff, <laughs> the back of the staff, and says, let it be, Joseph. All are here for a reason. So she has this intuition and this sense, uh, like her son, like all of them, every, everything has its purpose in God's creation. And that ends up being the, the spine of this book, the, the, the reason I think it, was, it had to be told. All are here for a reason, and mm-hmm. we need to be reminded of that. Because... And, and I think I'm attracted in, as an author, I'm attracted to characters who are forgotten or marginalized or in the shadows or told they can't or they're not good enough. And whether that's Mother Angelica or Will Wilder or these characters, uh, this spider, um, they had a purpose. They have a purpose. And that purpose is often grander and far lo- larger than yeah. even they imagine. Yeah. And that's all of our story. So... You know, it's not just, I'm not just writing some little trite tale for children. It's really for all of us. And, um, in this Christmas, it really, it, it, a year and a half after I wrote it, it touched me and I realized, ah, this is why I had to write this book. And sometimes you don't know until it's 
printed and published and out in the world why why you had to do it. Amen. Praise Jesus. Uh, Terry Kamara over on Facebook.com forward slash GRN online, where we're seeing a lot of comments come in right now, says, love the inspiration Uh-oh. of hope and changing the culture with art. Praise God. Glenn says, can't wait to read this to my grandsons. Uh, who, when they come for Christmas, uh, Raymond's bios of Mother Angelica are two of my favorite books ever. Thank you, Raymond. Oh, and then my 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 you. dear wife chimed in to the com box here. She says her older daughter Uh-oh. loves all things creepy crawly. If she finds a bug in the house, she catches it and releases it outside. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you see. And then you she see? she also <laughs> went on to say that thanks to Raymond Arroyo, she is now adding a spider to our nativity set. Uh, in the I house. love it. Well. Uh, yeah, well, I put you know we we uh, I I put them in the trees this uh, this Christmas. Uh, we, we I grabbed a few things. They actually <laughs> make these little spider ornaments. They're really cute. But um, but it, it again it points us back to something, and that's what that, that's what the tinsel is. The tinsel yeah. is just a reminder of this story. But somehow we lost the story in time, and I don't know why. There's another kind of I think really silly story about a spider at Christmas about a poor woman. There is another Ukrainian legend about a, a poor woman. She can't decorate her tree. She goes to sleep. The spider comes and decorates it for wow. you know, kind of spins a web all over the tree. I'm like, all right, and then what? So what? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a eh. So I those are I I need a story that I can connect or you know grow to touch us and where our, what our experiences are. And you know, so I'm I'm always on the lookout for those types of, of tales. And I'm uh, in fact, I just I just finished a um, an Easter book. I guess I can preview this. They haven't told me I couldn't. Um, it's, it's another picture <laughs> the book. Scoop. It's That's called, nice. I love it. Yes, I'll give you a little a little preview here, exclusive. Um, it's called the Thief Who Stole Heaven, mm. and it is um, the backstory of Dismas, the good thief. Wonderful. Who. No one knows anything about, or very little about. So, mm-hmm. I did a lot of research. The church fathers have written tons about him and saints. Praise God! Um, and that was an interesting um, uh, journey. But uh, again, I think the, the picture books allow me to reach an audience, a very broad audience. And we are—you you mentioned earlier about art and wanting to, you know, touch the culture. You have to know where the audience is. And we have to realize that in, in the past, the reason we have these beautiful stained glass uh, windows in churches is because they were created by individuals who wanted to convey the truths of the gospel mm. to a non-literate age. They knew that they were dealing with people who either couldn't read or wouldn't read, or, or you couldn't arrest their attention with a spoken or written word. So they created these beautiful stained glass images that couldn't be ignored. And um, in many ways, that's what I'm doing now, because I think we're in the same position. Yeah, we're, in a, we're in a non-literate age in some ways. Um, so I'm, I'm delighted that this, this story has touched so many hearts. And more importantly, people are making it part of their Christmas traditions. Mm. And those are the best kinds of stories. We're talking with Raymond Arroyo. Uh, he is, of course, the host of The World Over Live on EWTN. Uh, you can also catch him on Fox News. He's the author of the Will Wilder books, books on Mother Angelica and others. And, of course, this brand new book from Sophia Institute Press, The Spider Who Saved Christmas, a legend with uh, about uh, four minutes plus ish uh, left on our time with you, Raymond. And we've wow. got to say goodbye here. I want to go back to something you touched on earlier to wrap up our conversation. That's St. Joseph yeah. and the year of St. Joseph. That 
that Pope Francis has just uh, announced to the world. This is kind of big. I know Father Calloway has been really going after this. We're going to have him on the program on the 21st. We'll talk about it from his perspective, but I think it's a powerful opportunity to see St. Joseph in a new light. And uh, I think Father Calloway quoted Mother Angelica when she said, old men don't walk to Egypt. And we've had this right. uh, we've had this sort of uh, idea in our mind of this older man, but I think that a younger, virile man, a strong guardian protector, one who is completely devoted uh, and didn't even see his own worthiness to be the guardian protector of Our Lady and of the Christ, uh, is the image that we might find in this new year of St. Joseph. Last comments, uh, a few minutes left on the clock. Yeah, well, I, I mean, again, when I was working on the, we wrestled over this. When I was working over how do you depict St. Joseph in the book, um, and I, Randy and I went back and forth, and we both agreed, and, and it, this came from research. Look, if Mary was 12 or 13 or 14, which she probably was, she was a girl, if if Mary was fourteen, he could have been no more than thirty. Yeah, he was probably in his late twenties or thirty. Well, I don't know about you, but at thirty, heck, I could knock walls down. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm fifty now, and I could probably uh, still do it. But at thirty, this guy is a carpenter, so he's used to moving trees and cutting things down, and he's out with nature, and he's a he's a guy who by hand is cutting and sawing and shaving. This was not some. You know, effete man sitting in the corner waiting for life to happen, holding yeah. his lily. And so I reject that notion. <laughs> I Amen. hate those cards as beautiful as they are, and they are beautiful, some of them and sweet. They're not reality. So I do hope we recapture the testosterone of St. Joseph. Maybe that'll be my next book. The testosterone. <laughs> you heard it here, um, folks. First, folks. Well, yeah. because we need it. We need it. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get on my little soapbox. You for got a two minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, I'll take them. Um, you know, St. Joseph, I, I think, and all of us, we are, we have feminized so many aspects of the church and the faith. Mm-hmm. And, and men have been bullied into believing that to be holy, you have to be feminine. Mother Angelica hated that idea. And that's where she came up, I'll bet, with that line that, that Father Calloway was mentioning. Um, she, she never liked that idea. We need the complementarity of femininity that the innovation and the brilliance that women bring their intuition Mm. and sense of what's right they're usually on the mark but we also need the aggressiveness and the 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 stick-to-itiveness and the 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 toughness of men to push through the obstacles we face there was a reason that jesus himself went out and found guys who were lifting nets and knocking things down they were roustabouts they were they were laborers they were rustics they were not uh, men crammed with words and drunk with their own ideas. Amen. That's not the future. And I think we've got to get back to that robust masculinity of the faith. And maybe St. Joseph points the way. And I hope our priests uh, also reflect that because we need more of it. We need defense fathers who will defend us and protect us. All right. Amen. And uh, that's the man that we capture in the in the spider safe Christmas. I'm thrilled about. So I'm I'm glad we were part of that movement without knowing it was a movement. Praise <laughs> be to Jesus. All right, we've been talking with Raymond Arroyo from uh, this brand new book, The Spider Who Saved Christmas, a legend. Check it out on sophiainstitute.com. Uh, sophiainstitute.com is the website. Raymond, thank you for your time today. Thank you for the book. My wife is very thank grateful for a new Christmas. book to read to our kids. So God love you and God bless you. 
I love it. Thank you all. Merry Christmas, guys. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas to you, too. Thank you. You know, uh, as we go, I was just thinking uh, when listening to Raymond talk about a uh, new sense of, of, of masculinity, Hernan Cortez might have fit that bill very well because uh, very aggressive and yet very in love with Christ and the church and spread it with the world. And with that, God love you. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., for another Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. This is Lisa Lisa Malabnik from homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider and a sponsor of this station. Did you know your student can meet with me and fellow students online for a live interactive class? Whether they take my authentic beauty class based on my award-winning book, True Radiance, or Apologetics with John Martignoni, Literature with Kevin O'Brien, or any of our 400-plus courses, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you now at homeschoolconnections.com. Hi, this is Len Oswald, President of the Guadalupe Radio Network, with some very exciting news. The GRN now has a Monday through Friday morning drive time show called Catholic Drive Time. Catholic Drive Time is a nationally syndicated radio show getting you started on your day with the latest and breaking news and information. This live show features interesting and informative guests from around the world to cover the latest from the Vatican to the White House and all points in between. This show will provide a Catholic take on breaking news, national and international stories, fun Catholic trivia with prizes, plus tips on living the faith, and so much more. You can listen to Catholic Drive Time Live Monday to Friday from 6 to 8 a.m. Central Time across the GRN and beyond. This show is live streamed on all our social media sites, GRN's mobile app, podcasts, and more. This has been your GRN Family Minute. We are your Catholic radio. Radio for your soul. Sacred Heart Books and Gifts is holding a Christmas raffle. Tickets are just $1 each and can be purchased towards a $225 value general Christmas basket or an $150 value family Christmas basket. The drawing will take place on Friday, December 18th during a live 9:10 a.m. radio broadcast with Dave Palmer. Further details.